Like I really care. I'm really in it. I'm really invested. And it did make me think how often we risk giving up episode one or two of our own work. and welcome to episode 227 of Art Juices' Honest, Generous and Humorous Conversations to Feed Your Creative Soul and Get You Thinking with me, Louise Fletcher. And me, Alice Sheridan. And this week we're answering a question that came in to me, oh good grief, quite a long time ago. And actually I can't see in my, uh, oh, July 27th, 2022. So... um on the ball. Yes, so we're really quick at answering these questions. So don't give up. If you send us something you want us to discuss and we haven't discussed it, we will get to it eventually. Um, And it's all about design. And um, we'll get to that. And it's from a a listener called Lita. And we'll get to Lita's question once we talk about that. But first of all, what has your week been like, Alice? My week's been fun. Good. I've had a lot of fun interactions. I had a lovely day with a friend, which I think I dropped into the end of the podcast last week. Um, yeah, just reminded me what it was like to giggle. Um, I My parents have arrived back. Um, I from? Mean, from um, they were away on a boat trip, which oh, right, I, yeah. think, I think, put it this way, they've come back saying, that's it, they're never traveling ever again. <laughs> um and certainly when they arrived back they were exhausted and you know some sad things like my mum had lost her engagement ring on the journey home and they had a 24-hour flight delay and it really it felt like it would be very easy to fall back into that oh everything's down and like I'm I'm just not up for that at the moment I'm just not up for it <laughs> so my focus has been on chatting with them going around doing my mum's nails which is why my nails are painted pointless <laughs> but it feels good teaching them a new card game um just kind of having a bit of fun really just funny things like we've got to have a, some trees pruned we have trees at the front of our house that have to be pollarded every year so their roots don't grow too big and um got a new guy to come and quote for that and he was just hysterical he was just really <laughs> really funny and it just reminded me how much of those interactions are nice and then I have been on chief procrastination which we could have talked about this week actually uh chief procrastination about getting back into the studio which I busted through yesterday so oh good yeah good it's just been a very long time yeah did it feel good it felt really good and um it partly only felt good because I'd spent two days making myself feel really crappy. <laughs> you know, really like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'd go to bed with full intentions and then somehow there would be lots of other things that needed doing. And there were lots of other things that needed doing, to be fair. Yeah, so it was very easy to find excuses not to go. So the way I went through it at the end of the day was really risk messing up another day so badly knew I would feel so rubbish at the end of the day I had something that I had to get back home for as a deadline so I just thought right just go and you've only got an hour and what can go wrong in an hour and I went and I tidied and cleaned and swept and moved things that felt old that I was no longer interested in and reacquainted myself and got quite like oh there's quite a lot of good things here I quite enjoy really so good yeah it's good it's done it's shifted and um I'm back to it so that's how I do it but it's a it's a body thing it's a movement thing it's a like when you get stuck in your head about it and I was totally there and I'd have conversations with people oh I want to make bigger work but what do I do then I'm gonna have to hire a van and it's just all like future problem thinking which is never the answer it's never the answer and the more you think about it the harder it all seems it's like anything in life the more you think through all the possible oh and I don't know what these are going to look like at the end and how am I going to get I don't know where to start because I don't know where I'm going well you never do so you just have to start but I was the same as you as we've talked about this recently how most both of us weren't painting for quite a long time and I've just got back into it recently and it was the same thing there were a couple of days where I've been painting where I've really had to 
push myself mm-hmm. to go over there. I'll be sitting doing things on my computer, all things which do need doing at some point, but don't need doing. We're getting darker evenings now. It gets darker mm-hmm. earlier on. It's a good time to do those things in the evenings, not when I could be painting in good light. And there's something about just pushing yourself to actually get there, that once you're there and you're looking at stuff and you see the paint and you think, oh, I'll just, for me anyway, I think, oh, I'll just put a bit of white on there. That looks like it. that w- would look good there. And then, oh, I'll need to wash all the brushes and get everything sorted out now because now I'm in the mood to get going. And then hours can pass quite happily. And then I think, why did I, I not know. Why was it so hard? In? Yeah. It's because we you've said before that procrastination is when we don't know what to do or we really hate it, but it isn't, I don't really hate it. So it is for me, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And like you said, the thinking about it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. You've got to go see what you're going to do by doing it. And I think it's also when something starts to feel important, like the longer you delay it, the more important it feels, the more stories you tell yourself about why, why you're delaying it. But I could very easily, which I wasn't actually this time, get in a twist about, oh, I haven't done any painting all summer. But put it, put it this way, by the time I went, I went to do the code to get into the studio and I couldn't get in through the door. <laughs> and I had to go round the front and talk to the caretaker. And he was like, we changed that months ago. You can't use that door anymore. You've got to come in this way. It's like, you've really not been for a long time, have you? I was like, no. (laughs) But it's when things start to feel too important, because when we put too much importance on them, then of course it's going to be a bit daunting. Yeah. You know, just breaking that, isn't it? Anyway, Uh, yeah, we'll see. So we're both painting again, everybody. So that's good news. Yep. With no pressure. Yeah, absolutely no pressure. I mean, I have no events or plans or anything for what I'm doing. So it's just free exploration, which is really good. Okay, so if I am free exploring, how am I taking design into consideration? This is a question that we got, as I say, a year ago now from Lita. And I've saved all the questions that you send me and um, then we go through them once in a while. And this one caught our eye today. And Lita says, I would like to know how you use the design principles in your work and your assessment of how they elevate the end result. For example, you both use lines differently. Contrast and value patterns are also evident. My guess is that much of this you both do instinctively now or intuitively but it would be interesting to know how you see these design elements in the finished pieces, why they are important, how you've used them over time. And it might help us to give us more attention and understand their significance. So I looked back and we haven't discussed design. Um, Also maybe thought of as composition or however you think of it Uh, as a listener, you might have a different word for it, but the overall layout of our painting, the overall what the elements that comprise the painting. Um, so we thought, yeah, let's tackle Lita's question. So go on, Alice, and then I'll just wrap up at the end. Because <laughs> Alice is a graphic designer, so you have some design training, which I always envy, because I always think that must give you a, a foundation. I think in a way it does help. And it was interesting when I first came across, when I first came across this idea of design in paintings was when I did the course many years now with Nicholas Wilton. And before then, in art terms, I'd always heard it referred to as composition. Mm -hmm. And composition in the sense of paintings was things like you know have you are have you got like a, a is there a winding rope that's leading to a vanishing point um is there a, a focal area uh is it on a cruciform basis and various almost like set constructs or rules like rules of thirds or um golden sections and those kind of things but they were all almost like linear ways to break up the surface of a painting 
And what Nick really put in place was he brought in the value idea, which is how your brain interprets it. And I think what that did for me was it completely linked up with, as you say, my experience of a graphic designer, where we would have called it layout, right? You've got right. a number of different elements that you need to include that have a different hierarchy and you need to create something that is balanced, but also of interest on a page. If it's too balanced, it's too harmonized. You need a little bit of tension. Mm -hmm. So I'd always done that with as layout and in graphic design terms, you know, before we had computers, it literally was cutting things out and moving them around a page. And then you would do paste up and then you would get your microfilm and blah, 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 blah. Whereas when you paint, you're putting it on directly. And once it's painted, you can't move it. So I think there were two things that really um, shifted for me. And I think is interesting when we come to the idea of painting, and one is the ability to move things and change them and not get stuck with what you have done first off. And as soon as I started thinking about paintings in this form of layout and constructing it and the ability to move things around by painting over, but I'll come on to another tip in a minute, that really helped in terms of, oh, I get what you mean now about design. Whereas composition for me had always felt really restrictive, like my painting had to fit one of these rules, like rules of thirds, blah, 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 blah. And, and yeah. it, it, that always felt like you were sort of painting to order. Um, I so remember thinking about it like design just made it feel much freer for me. Yes. Do you, do you know the Bob Burridge? Have you no. ever seen him on YouTube? He's an American painter really great teacher very inspiring I'm sure lots of people listening will have seen his videos he's an older gentleman now but when he first started he was maybe middle-aged anyway he he teaches a lot and he does a lot of demos on YouTube and he offers um, a composition chart he paints both abstractly and semi-representationally and he's he's very very good um, but he offered this composition chart you could download and it was like 12, the 12 compositions of a painting. And it was just what, I know, it was just oh, what you said. So this was when I was beginning. So I downloaded it and also a color wheel where you could turn the colors and know you would get a palette that worked if you matched the colors in this way. I can't remember quite how that worked, but both things felt exactly what you just did, which if for those who obviously can't see what Alice did, she vomited. <laughs> well, she pretended to vomit. But uh, as I'm literally typing in the links, I was like, you started talking. I thought, oh, this might be useful. Type in links, Bob Burridge composition chart. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. No, but, but look for Bob Burridge's videos, everybody, because he is very inspiring in his looseness and freedom with paint and the way he encourages you to explore but yes, there were things like, uh, here's the cruciform composition, mm -hmm. here's the, this one. And I would look at them and I was looking at what I was doing and thinking, okay, I can't really see how I make that work. And I don't really understand that one. That one doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm sure they're totally valid and everything. But for me, yeah, I was really lost. And the thing I took from um Nick's course because I was the same as you that's where I first heard about it and I didn't have any design background to pin it to so the thing I took from him is this idea of bringing in contrast as being um a way to make designs or compositions interesting and I realized instantly that was my, where some of my landscapes were going wrong that I was missing that element of contrast and over the years, I've developed that so that the way I use it in my artwork and the way I teach it is I talk about contrast and harmony. And these are things I'm, I have not invented. I don't even claim to have invented them. But what I realized is contrast is a great principle for me to make my compositions more interesting. But you can push it so far that it's too much and then there's nothing to tie it all together and the way I describe it is 
if you um you go into you create in another world in a film say everything has to harmonize and and fit together to make that world you can have something strange happen in it if it all fits together and seems like that is a world that works so when we're making a painting we're kind of making a world that works together and then putting some things in that surprise you and it and just what you said about in design it can't be too surprising because then it's clashy and it can't be not surprising it can't be all harmonious because then we'll walk straight past it without even looking mm. and so that's how I now think about them which I always feel being totally honest is a bit amateurish and not uh because I haven't got the knowledge that I feel like people who went to graphic design school or interior design any design uh, discipline I feel like when you speak about it you have this grounding to it mine is very simple it's like I have these two things and that's what I constantly look at in my paintings oh it's too it's gone too much this way it's gone too much that way keep bringing it back lots of contrasting elements now it's too contrasty let me bring some harmony back in so for example harmony usually for me will be in the color I'll usually make sure that the color palette is consistent throughout and then there'll just be a couple of little surprises but if I keep that consistent throughout then whatever I do with shapes and sizes and lines and it will hang together within the consistent story that I'm telling with color mm -hmm. but if I have contrasty color, contrasty shapes, contrasty marks, then it's just too much for yeah. me anyway, for what I want. I think a lot of this comes back to clarity, doesn't it? And when you're talking about having too many things in there and it being in, in a muddle, it's because there is no clarity. And this is always the conversation between you as the painter and the viewer and what it is that you want to say. And you could look at some paintings like Top of My Head, Thinking of Basquiat. You know, they're not composed with particular weighting in different areas. Like the whole surface of the painting is covered in many ways with quite similar work. So it's a very different approach to the design of the painting. But what that actually does then is you, it's almost like you're not distracted by a really strong design. You're really looking at the elements and you're looking at the colours and you're looking at actually the story that he's trying to tell within the shapes that he's chosen. It's not about, uh, let's say, you know, with a Rothko piece where he's really refined it down and the shapes are kept so simple that really all you're looking at is the proportion of shapes and the way that those colours vibrate against each other. And by keeping it that pure, that has a really strong kind of emotional resonance or that's what he's aiming for with you. So it yeah. comes down to your intention, doesn't it? And in that sense, I think a lot of it does come down to your personality. And I think that's why I have a problem with with those kind of set pieces of design or composition and I do think that there is a place for learning about those mm. and then there is a place for moving on from that and deciding what you want to do with that information it's, it's like learning yeah. learning anything isn't it like learning a piece of music or learning piano or learning a language you've got to do you've got to do the exercises and then you get to freewheel it and in terms of this question, you know, I, I guess that both of you now it's instinctive or intuitive. You will have a different instinctive response than I will to what you're doing in your work and what that I will and what I'm doing in my work. And there might be and even me within my own work, there have been stages where I have been playing with very different design considerations than I'm playing with now. Like yeah. What I want to play with now is something where it's much subtler, it's not as bold, there's not as much contrast, so that you look at other things within the painting. And that's what you get to play that, with. That's where I think contrast is such a powerful idea, because um, when you say contrast, people think you're saying have lots of contrast. Yeah. I'm saying have 
just like you said with Rothko, he's taken all the other things away that he could have been contrasty with, like marks and textures and, and made it really basic. I have one shape that's bigger than another, um, so it's not even. And then I have, I want you to look at the colour. And that is because I've taken everything else away, you'll feel the colour so much more than if all this other stuff was going on. Whereas with Basquat, who I'm a bit obsessed with at the moment, I just bought two books, which I cannot stop going through. He's not obsessed with that as a consideration at all, I don't think. And yet there's so much contrast in his work as well. So he'll never have, he'll have his, say, his naive figures, but he won't have three the same size in a row. And he won't have um, the same size writing in the background all the time. It will vary and move. And naturally, it has a design that's exciting to look at. I don't always believe that every artist is consciously doing that stuff, although I think lots are. Or consciously doing it thinking about composition, I mean, not going, hmm, is my composition perfect? But it's a thing which you recognize when you, when you've got some experience yeah, what I need to do, Monet must have thought, I need to make that water lily smaller than that one because at the moment they're all the same size and yeah. that's making it boring. Yeah. So I, I love this. When what I try and teach people at the later stages of our courses, yes, contrast is great for interest. But if you want, say, your painting to feel very calm and peaceful and quiet, you're not going to do that with very strong value contrast that's going to have the opposite effect so it's not about making things contrasty it's about what you said understanding what contrast does and then manipulating it to get the effect that you're looking for and that is where it's not always instinctive for me I might have to think if I'm trying to create a particular feeling I might have to step back and say, you know why it's not feeling like that? Because it's gone too mm. far this way mm -hmm. or too far that way. So it sometimes is instinctive and intuitive, but it often I do have to look and see what I've done wrong, so to speak. And I think those wrong routes as well, they're an important part of the journey because sometimes this has happened to me in paintings before like I've I've made the beginning marks maybe with something and I often go well I used to I'm not sure I'm doing it so much anymore interestingly go quite high contrast at the beginning and I think because of that inherent sense of design training I I can kind of put them in the right place and it feels balanced and then I can look back and think well that's kind of done now yeah like where do I where do I go from there but the painting is thin still like it's 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 like that everything's in the right place it's strong because I might have been doing like navy blue or dark on a white gesso background but there's no depth of substance to it so quite often <laughs> I deliberately put things in the wrong place so that I have to work my way back from them yeah because That's it's, it's yeah. that kind of adjustment and change that gives a painting its history that for me is interesting. And and that's why I, I struggle with, I mean, I, I'm obsessed when people say, oh yeah, you know, I can do a painting and get it done in an hour or a morning or a day. I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like that that sounds to me like it would be very satisfying but would it be? I don't know. Yeah. So we just approach things in different ways. You see, there is a reason why I don't do that. I like finding my route to the design of the painting through the process of doing it. And for me, that means sometimes deliberately doing it wrong. But I think you do have to know, you know, when it feels right and also know what you're aiming for in design terms. So I'm just looking up ahead of me at a page that I've torn out of a magazine which has got, uh, I don't know if they're charcoal drawings, but they're big. They're like one and a half meters tall charcoal drawings in a frame. And it's from an interior magazine. And there are two of them and they're almost like reverse images of each other in terms of the black and white. And each one is a figure 
deliberately standing very centrally in this space with very high contrast, just black and white, figure central. That's a design or compositional decision that makes sense for that piece. I don't feel that's ever a design or compositional decision that makes sense in my work because I don't want you just looking at one thing. I want you looking at everything. So you've got to know what it is you want the viewer to do and why you're doing that painting. And then you choose the design. You go with the design. Yeah. To what suits. Yeah, because people will sometimes say, well, should I have a focal point? And if, should you have one focal point? The, who knows, should you? The question is, what's it about? And maybe you should, as you said, with the person in the middle, and maybe it won't be in the middle. Maybe maybe you're painting a floral uh, in a vase and you put the flowers if you put the flowers in the vase right in the middle of the painting that says one thing mm. if you move the vase of flowers off right to the side and have an empty table with a vase of flowers and maybe you have it from further away that's got a totally different feeling already even before you start with color and tone you could make that feel quite ominous if you used very darks and lights and blues and greens and made it feel cold that vase of flowers could turn into something quite eerie the way you compose it um and same if you want us to just look at one red rose amongst all these flowers then that might yes you might want a focal point and you might want to draw us to that but you might want us to look at all the flowers and you might want to fill the frame with the flowers in which case you won't want to make them all really vibrant and strong because it'll be too much but well you might though I mean, I wouldn't want to, you might want to, but you could have little fo five focal points around the flowers where we are drawn to look. So you move us around everything. So it really is about, it's all comes back to intention, doesn't it? Well, it's understanding how it works and then knowing what you want to do with it. Yeah. To make the decision and that takes time. So coming back to this question, because I think it is an interesting one, if we're talking about design, basically meaning the visual areas or shapes that you have in your painting, which doesn't necessarily mean a triangle or a square or, you know, um, but the, the visual areas or shapes that you have that make up your painting and the contrast that allows you to see them either boldly or more subtly, if that's design, where does line fit in? Because line is a shape. It's a very thin mm. shape. Um, but it does play a slightly different role for me anyway. It's interesting that this person's thought that our views of lines. How do you use line? Often, for me, that it's a slight hint at realism. So in my abstract landscapes, the line might hint at a stone wall. Um, there might just be faint marks that look like stone walls. There might be faint marks that look like fence posts or grasses. Um, and then everything else might be very abstract. In the current portrait, self-portrait work that I'm doing, the lines, are, I love drawing. I love drawing. I still love it. I, I love the look of drawing. So I like to contrast paint application, loose paint application with quite precise drawn lines. I really mm. like that contrast. I don't do it very successfully always, but that's what I really would love to get to. So at the moment in these self-portraits, I have some drawn hands and some drawn feet that are part of the composition. And then there'll be a lot of loose paint and ink and other things on there um so I think that's what they're referring to when they talk about line the other way I think I use it is it's another contrasting thing so mm -hmm. if I've got lots of loose paint just having a line a thin line a thick line a different types of line is a nice different thing that our eye can latch onto and go oh that's interesting that's I've not seen that but I do like my lines to kind of come in and out of things. I don't like 
when there's if I'm going to draw a hand I don't like the whole hand being drawn there I want it to be mostly disguised and just be a hint so I think that's how I use it yeah and I think when you're talking about painting like that and then having the linear elements of something that's a more recognizable and precise form it's important to know that that's where we're going to look like because mm -hmm. it's more immediately accessible yes. for our yes. eye and our brain to understand. So that's where we'll look first. That's maybe why I don't like it being fully defined, actually. Because yeah. if it's if it's right there as a clearly drawn hand and a mushy face, you're going to look at the clearly drawn hand. So it's finding the balance where it starts to just be something you notice later. And also where that happens, where that point of distinction is within your work, where you lay it out or where you place it or where you design it on your painting yeah. is important. Yeah. You know, that is a that is a that is a conscious consideration. That yes. part is it could be intuitive, but it is also a conscious like if you have a painting and you have, as you say, three hands in different formations along the middle of the painting, that's going to be a very different feel to it than a painting that's got them existing in other places where it feels like there might be a whole figure coming out of these abstract marks. Yeah, so it is. It is a conscious decision. And I really get that in one of the pictures I put on Instagram, I had put for my liking too much of my face in too many features. It was too much of a drawing. And um, I, I just put work in progress on Instagram anyway. It's not to be finished, but lots of people are like, oh, I love that one. It looks just like you. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. that's going to get obliterated again because to me, it felt just what you said because it was clearly drawn. I didn't have the words for it, but now you've said it. Because it was clearly drawn, that's all you looked at. And the mm -hmm. rest of it was disappearing and I don't want that. So I'm battling at the moment with drawing and painting and trying to find my way to where I'm happy with enough of a hint that it's interesting but not too much that you only stare at the real bits yeah um so what about for you because obviously in a way I feel like line has changed a bit for you because when I first found your work it was quite different than now I was just thinking that um bearing in mind the time that's passed between this question coming in and and yeah. what I'm doing now but I think almost in the last in the last set of work I have deliberately tried not to use line but initially for me it was a part of crossing over from drawings that I would have done out in the landscape for one thing and a, a kind of physical question of like with a material shift and with a scale shift how do I get that same feeling in a painting that I've got in a drawing because it's on a very different scale and what you've got a lot of other things going on when you draw a line that's just a drawing it's just a mark or pencil mark or that's all you've got to look at so you can see it when you as soon as you're painting you've got texture you've got color you've got brush marks you've got usually a lot more space so anything linear is much smaller within that space so it's a very different set of uh situations to think how is this line going to have the impact that I want it to have or not to have and the answer is usually not just to put more on because that makes things more of a muddle um but scale line and scale is a tricky thing when you start painting larger and so I think my more recent paintings that I've deliberately tried to avoid using line because there was certainly a stage where I felt it was becoming a little bit too reliable. Mm. Yeah. And I wanted to explore something different. And because it has that definition, as soon as you put lines in, that's what you look at. Yeah. I use them to cross spaces. So they're directional. I use them to reference movement often, air, wind. Um, I use line, I had a phase definitely where I used the line created by paints dripping very consciously mm -hmm. as a line that was created not by me, but often quite controlled. But of course, that's a that's a straight rigid line that's not a drawn curved line I don't like curves 
I'm not very good with curves. Mm. I like lines to be direction and movement and have corners. It's funny, that's where I struggle. So mm. I, I always admire that in your paintings or when you used to do a lot of directional line in an abstract landscape, I loved it. But if I tried it, I'd have to get rid of it again. Mm. Be like, no, it don't feel right because I can't make that feel right. Um, I can make down, down lines feel okay. Like if they're coming from the sky down, I can manage that. But for some reason that didn't work for me. And this is where... I think when we see what someone else is doing in design, it's good to try it if you want to, just to find out that either, oh yeah, that fits me, or no, that really doesn't fit me. Because you're not copying. If it if it fits you, you'll find your own way with it yeah. anyway. But often what you like in someone else's paintings doesn't actually work for you when you try it. No. And, and, and the other thing is lines that are created inadvertently so we've been talking about lines that are created consciously and deliberately as a form of drawing but of course lines also exist wherever you have an edge mm -hmm. so that that is a line so and I think that that's something that often catches people out they, they're thinking perhaps about the patches of their painting and where that join is between two areas particularly if it's a sharp edge or if it's a messy edge like what are your edges like between the spaces where are they soft where are they sharp because again that will be a point of contrast that people will see notice and can get you stuck in a certain place rather than it's just that you just need to be aware of it you just need to be aware of yeah. it yeah yeah, the other thing that really draws attention is anything text, anything yeah. with readable Back words. Back to the definition thing, you see. Yeah. Anything to do with a face, we'll see it. And yeah. that's why often in abstract paintings, people go, oh, it looks like a person. It looks like a, it looks like a face. Because we're designed to find yeah. eyes, other people, things that are hunting us anything that we need to pay attention to which is text these days like it, yeah. it would have been the detail of something moving but now it's text so yeah where you put your text watch it I, I can remember when I first had a painting in a group exhibition the curator it was just a, a local group exhibition and she came over and I was using um, collage text and then I was sanding it so you could hardly read it and it was as part of a stone wall. It was like making up the texture of the stone wall. And uh, this lady said, oh, what would be really great if, is if you made that text to be something meaningful about the role of farmers in the local landscape and the, the whatever, I don't know. And I said, oh, actually, no, because for me, it's important. You can't read it. I really want it to be mysterious. So you try and get closer and then you can't read it. And she went, oh okay then and she got really offended and walked off because I wasn't taking her advice but I, if you want to make a point like that yes make the text readable because we will read any text we will go for it and look for it but I, actually I really have always liked that idea of just distressing it or confusing it enough that it takes it, it makes you look at it and then you can't quite make sense of it so often I'll handwrite on my paintings and then cover some of it over. So what I've written doesn't quite make sense. You can't quite piece together what it once said. I don't know why I like that, but I like that. And I've always done that. But yes, if you collage on a lovely text from a newspaper or a magazine and you don't do something with it, we're going to stare at that and we're not going to see anything else. And that's the important thing here, isn't it? Is that is another area where you get to push it. Like the 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 piece that I bought last week from somebody, he had a little block of very deliberately legible, readable text. And it's right up, up, sort of on the top on a kind of awkward corner. And I like the awkwardness of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it was in a composition book, this is how to do composition, probably wouldn't be in there. But I yeah. like that deliberate awkwardness of it. Yeah. And that's again it's one of those things that it's important to recognize in yourself what you like 
pay attention to why you're liking things that you see in other people. And it's hard to do in your own work. But I think if this is something that you want to explore, this is an area where collage is so helpful because you do get to do the thing that I was talking about at the beginning of move things around. And actually, you don't even have to stick them down if you don't want to. Yeah. You know, you can move them, take a photograph, move them and use two L pieces of card cut in L's to make crops, move the shapes around and give yourself shapes that are contrasting in scale, shape, size, a bunch of lines. And you can create an exercise for yourself where you cut things out of black paper, gray paper and white paper or all low contrast paper. And do do some exercises for yourself and notice what do you like? Do you like it where it gets busy? Do you like it where there's tension at the edge? Do you like it where things are settled in the middle? Yeah. And it's it's e even if you get a photograph from a magazine, for example, you know, cut out all the objects from it and try and position them in a different place to something that feels more satisfying to you. And I think that collage is a really helpful way to uh, learn what you like compositionally before you get into the muddle of trying to do it with paint um, yes one of my favorite things to do in my sketchbook if I'm just playing around is to take a piece of a random piece of collage paper something really ugly or something that isn't special in any way stick it down on a sketchbook page and then make a composition out of it so it looks good like to mm -hmm. Um, find a way to compose it so that I feel good about it can't always do it because sometimes it's just so horrible that I can't fix it sometimes I have to paint over it but that is a nice exercise um, and when I told that to Jane Davis some people might know Jane in up in Vermont and she said oh I do the same thing but I try and deliberately make it as horrible as possible um, as an exercise which is another fun one so take something and try and put something as clashy and wrong as possible with it. Because sometimes by, she was saying, by trying to make it as horrible as possible, you actually make something exciting um, that, that you can take forward because you surprise yourself with not trying to make it balanced and nice. So, yeah, I think it's just about experimenting, isn't it? Having fun mm. and trying things out and seeing. But I do always emphasize to people what we've been saying that, it is about what you like in the end. Just what you said about the one you bought that doesn't actually fit the any of the principles you would think it should fit, but you love it. In the end, someone else will if you do. So it's finding what you love. You just you just have to understand these things we're talking about because if you do put drawn face and a big piece of text, people will stare at those things and you need yeah. to understand that. But if that's what you want, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky because it's quite a hard thing to talk about without show showing it. Yeah, <laughs> showing any visual examples like we were saying, uh, you know, I put something down and then try and make it work. I can imagine that there might be wait, but what do you mean? Make it yes, work? Yes, maybe I'll what do, do a YouTube mean? video. <laughs> but so for me, it's often a question of looking at maybe extremes of balance. You know, have I got spaces that are calm? Where am I looking? It can be very small bits um, that are either very high contrast or much more intense with colour. I've been doing a lot of collages in my sketchbook recently that are very muted, very gentle backgrounds. And then there's a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of something very bright in there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me, collage is very often a way where I explore an idea a long way before it hits my painting. Like not as a plan for a painting, not as a deliberate thing, but it's where it's easier for me just to instinctively pick something up from a pile of magazine colours or pages and play with how it suits me. Yeah. And what I'm noticing and what I like. And then often it comes out in paintings, you know, maybe even a year later. Um, but it's a, it's a really great way to explain. Um, do you remember that exercise that we did? This is a fun thing to do if you've got friends. Do you remember that exercise we did on that drawing course up in, yes. up in Yorkshire? Let's yes, talk about that. that. So yeah. we had two we, we, people were in a group, about eight people in a group. 
and we had a, a large sheet of white paper and then we had a sheet of black paper and they had to tear the paper up into the black paper into different as many different shapes as they could so long thin shapes round shapes square shapes different sizes so they got their own different things to start with and then you had to take it in turns each person had to put down a black shape on the white and then the next person had to put down another black shape which helped or disrupted the composition so it was a kind of collaborative thing to create a composition out of these super high contrast shapes and what was so interesting was the discussion how people had different intentions for where they wanted the composition to go so there was a little bit of battling going on yeah but, you know it was a fun thing to do yeah you you're doing it and you're thinking oh she just ruined my composition yeah. <laughs> but interesting to notice where actually you do have a plan when someone else comes in you're like oh yeah, <laughs> go that way. So we do all have a sense of it. Okay, so what's inspired this week? I have something to recommend, which is I've been watching on iPlayer, just finished four episodes of Boiling Point, um, which is a drama set in a restaurant. When I mentioned it to Alice, she said, oh, did you see the film? And I didn't because I think it's the follow on to a film. Was the film on TV too? No, the film was only in cinemas. And what was interesting in the film was it is set in real time in a working restaurant and the entire film was done in one take. Yeah. One moving camera take. No cuts, no clips, a moving camera working through an active restaurant with everybody having to get everything right, cameras moved, lines said. Must have taken so much work in advance. Absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And now well, now it's a series, yeah. The drama doesn't do that. Um, but it I can see how it gets that feeling, actually, yeah. because what, what I thought when it ended was I feel like I was dropped into another world that actually exists. I feel like those people are out there now still doing all that stuff every day um and i just got to be part of it for a little while it's very real life but of course it's more interesting than real life because real life would be quite boring to watch but it it's a it's very structured as a drama but not in a way that you notice it's happening you kind of don't don't see the men behind the curtain you just in it and you really and if anyone does try it, I would say the first episode, you've got to give yourself time to really get into it. You've got to go to episode two, because by episode two, I, I was just so like, oh, my God, I want to live with these people forever. I want to keep watching this all the time. It's fantastic. I loved it. And such a oh, so beautifully written every that's I always admire the artistry, like every character yeah. is beautifully delineated and every actor is doing their absolute best work. And yeah, it's just brilliant. And I felt the same about The Woman in the Wall, uh, which was, again, it's on BBC. And I think in the States, it's going to be on Paramount because I checked for somebody yesterday. And it's about an extraordinary period in Ireland's history. And um, I got to episode five and when it finished, like the first episodes were about, this is a bit weird. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. And I got to episode five and I thought the writing, the acting, the way they have chosen to tell this whole story is the most extraordinary thing. Mm. Just, as you say, just complete appreciation for it. It's just mind blowing. And on a very different level, but the same idea. <laughs> It's just like from high level to in the gutter, right? Okay, can't believe I'm admitting this that loud. In my procrastination effort, I started watching Married at First Sight UK. Oh, oh, I can, <laughs> I can top you because I watched My Mum, Your Dad on ITV. <laughs> the reason that I'm bringing that up now is, and how it relates to art is, 
and you, you like we know these things are going to be addictive and we also know like you start I like, literally started watching the first episodes of Women's and all thinking oh, what's going on here I don't know okay her accent's good but like where is this going to go started watching Married at First Sight thinking why am I watching this you know these are people okay interesting idea for for a, a series but you know they're people I don't know I don't really care about by episode five I really care <laughs> like I really care I'm really in it I'm really invested and it did make me think how often we risk giving up episode one or two of our own work mm. rather than getting to episode four or five where you're invested and you're really keen to know what happens next that's a really good way of turning trash tv into a moral lesson <laughs> You're welcome. My mum, your dad, I I totally got so invested that by the... It's like some kids bring their mums and dads to meet each other in a house and then they have to fall in love. And I got so invested that when it finished, I, I watched My Mum, Your Dad, Australia because I was like, okay, I want to keep seeing this happen. Welcome to Art Juice, your highbrow art discussion. <laughs> Podcast. So uh, okay. on that note, I think yeah. we'll finish for this week and yeah. uh, wish you all a very creative week and we will see you next time. And um, I do actually have something a little bit highbrow next time. So if mm. you're listening, if you're listening, Christine, you feel like we dragged you into the gutter. If really you're sorry. You, like- <laughs> you will be raising the game. <laughs> so, yeah, that's coming next week. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. OK, bye bye. Bye.